truth.us. So there is also some other rumors here, and very interesting things are happening with NATO. So Russian resistance to the conflict from Russian soldiers in Ukraine appears to be growing. And this is very interesting. So I don't know how many of you saw this today. There's this video that's going viral of some Ukrainian like farmers. They found a Russian tank just like abandoned and they took it for a joyride. I have you seen you haven't seen have you seen this yet? This is amazing. There's like six like total Ukrainian Chad dads just riding on this like T80. <laughs> they're just they're blowing through. I have no idea what they're saying, man, but they the grins is right. Like imagine your dad in all of his his uh you know knee high sock glory just like finding an Abrams tank and just joyriding that bad boy through the backwoods of Indiana. That's kind of what was going on. They are absolutely ecstatic. It's a great video. If you haven't seen it, you've got to watch it. But <laughs> but it's how many times do we have to see perfectly functional Russian vehicles that are there's just nobody around. They haven't been destroyed. Some ran out of gas. Some have not ran out of gas. This thing wasn't out of gas, or it was, and they put gas in it. I don't know. But they got a tank now. And apparently the Ukrainian government has just issued a statement. I have not fact-checked this at all. I just saw the headline, so it could be a joke, but I'm going to tell you anyway, uh, that Ukraine is telling the uh, the Ukrainians that they don't have to declare captured Russian equipment on their taxes, <laughs> which I I hope with all hope is so true. Um, but yeah, so they're just capturing these vehicles, man. It's, it's hysterical. So what they're saying is a lot of these Russian troops, what they're doing is they're actually sabotaging their own vehicles and then they're just leaving. They're just walking off of the battlefield. And many of them are going to their families' houses in Ukraine because they have family that lives there. So there's a lot of reports like this happening. And there's also much more video coming out over the past couple of days about uh, Russian troops who have been captured but have been given food and drinks by, like, Russian civilians. So it's almost like the civilians haven't captured them. It's more like they've given up, they've defected, or what have you. And they're just, they're calling home, and they're drinking tea and eating pastries and things like that, and they're calling home. And, of course, uh, Ukrainian women are... um, you know, giving them comfort and all of that stuff. And, and there's a lot of these videos coming out in some of these areas. The first city in in Ukraine did fall last night, the very first one. So uh, there's another there's another city where the mayor uh, was negotiating with the Russian soldiers. Uh, Russia has them surrounded. And the Russian soldier who was to meet with the mayor came through, came through town square. He had a grenade in each hand in case the crowd got out of control. And they were told to surrender or they would be they would be shelled with artillery. So the mayor actually went up into town square and he says, I want to fight. But as your mayor, you guys have to make this decision. Do you want to fight or do you want to surrender? They already have the artillery pointed at us. And if we if we fight, they're going to shell us. And the town universally said that they wanted to fight. So we'll see what happens in in that city tonight but the first city did fall yesterday to the russians it's the first city they've been able to capture so it's it's really getting out of control today on the the earlier part of the uh my early show i should say we went over all of the weird things that are happening kind of internationally like we're 
we're banning Russian breed cats from cat competition and all sorts of just really crazy, bizarre stuff. EA Sports is removing all Russian teams from all of their video games. Like, just, it's almost like Russia derangement syndrome. It's okay to not like Putin, and it's okay to really hate what Putin is doing. That's that's fine, but this is to the point where it's dogmatic, and it's not healthy. Anything at all Russian is being canceled everywhere now. What is this latest one? I just saw that some other update here on this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ukraine has asked Xbox and PlayStation to suspend all Russian and Belarusian accounts on their platforms. So if you're in Russia or Belarus, okay, if you're in Russia, because nobody in Belarus has a PlayStation, but if you're in Russia and you have a PlayStation and you're on the PlayStation network, like you won't be able to play anymore. <laughs> if, that, if that happens, it's really bizarre to watch this happening. But as I told you yesterday, you're going to watch globalists really tout this as, as a, a positive thing. And that globalism is great because you can apply all of this pressure everywhere. But again, they can turn that on you uh, for any reason that they want. And a lot of you have seen that throughout the pandemic. So you got to be wary of that. So what is the other thing that I had here? Uh, yeah, Russian resistance is growing. A lot of people are just walking away from their vehicles. They're self-sabotaging their vehicles. Um, the Ukrainians can still hear everything that the Russians say on their radios. And nobody believed the Ukrainians when they were saying that before the invasion happened. I think I alluded to this yesterday. But everybody could hear what the Russian troop movements were for, like, weeks before the invasion. And people were like, there's no way that Russia is still using open analog channels. So think of it this way. You have a CB radio, and anybody can tune in. That's what the Russians are using. It's just bizarre, absolutely bizarre watching all of this. Um, what else? Where's the other thing that came up here? I just had something else that went along with this. Um, yeah, so NATO. NATO is getting weird. Um, I will put the video of the... The Ukrainians. I forgot that I saved it. I have it here in my show prep. I will put the video of the Ukrainians taking the joyride on the Russian tank. I will put that in the daily show prep today. Um, the so Finland and Sweden, and then I think is it Kosovo? Yeah, I think it's Kosovo. Um, or they're all they're all a part of you know these these potential NATO member nations. Uh, last time we checked in on Finland and Sweden, Russia threatened the two countries with serious military political repercussions if they joined NATO. While both Sweden and Finland leaders did not seem overly concerned about the threat, the nations have followed up with more robust response, just not the one that Russia sought. Finnish political parties plan to discuss Russia's attack on Ukraine and Finland's role in Europe's new power balance. Membership in NATO will be one of the topics that is covered. Finland's potential NATO membership will also be on the table, according to their prime minister. Uh, and then in Finland, apparently, you know, things are pretty tense uh, politically there. And that could very well push Finland towards NATO membership. Uh, Sweden, kind of the same thing. They're, they're seriously considering all of this. Uh, support for joining NATO is at 41% in Sweden. However, the Swedes are not sitting still. The nation has broken its doctrine not to send arms to active conflicts, and they are sending arms to Ukraine. Uh, the, the notoriously neutral Swiss have started taking action against Russian banks. Kosovo is asking for their membership application to NATO to be sped up. Uh, 
this this little conflict here is going to be changing the geopolitical environment over there for a long, long time, it looks like. You got a lot to t- talk about today. And again, a little bit later on in the program, uh, very interesting stuff coming out of Las Vegas. They think there is at least an investigative angle where Antifa is considered the prime suspect behind the Las Vegas mass shooting a couple of years ago. We got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, MNC News Time. 332, time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Do you want to thank R&B Car Company? Locations in South Bend and Warsaw. R&B Car Company are your used car experts. You can find them online at rbcarcompany.com. So Ukraine is offering to pay Russians who surrender. There is a Russian oligarch who is offering a million dollars for Russian officers to betray Putin and arrest him. What did we say yesterday? It's going to get to a point where the best possible action for Russia is to eliminate or take out Putin. And that doesn't mean kill him, but that's certainly on the table. And that would give them some plausible deniability to go, we would have never done this to our brothers in Ukraine. And economic sanctions and things like that ease up a little bit. You know, Sun Tzu um, always talked about creating a golden bridge for your enemy to retreat to. And if you just keep encircling Russia and doing the things that the West is doing right now, you're, you're going to create a much bigger problem down the road. And World War One, the end of that conflict, is a prime example of how that could happen. You know, we, we get to a point where the, if the Russian people get punished by the West for something that Putin did that the Russian people don't really want, and you continue to punish the Russian people because of that, eventually you're going to get to a point where somebody, uh, whether it's Putin or somebody else, you know, really radicalizes that country, and we're, we're off to right exactly where we were at the beginning of World War II. So you got to be careful about some of the stuff. And that's that's why when I went over this on the earlier show today and I was talking about the insane things that people are doing, you know, to Russian people all across the, the world, it's that's the type of stuff that you got to be very, very careful about. Um, this is breaking news, though. I want to thank the live stream for pointing this out. The, the detective in the Breonna Taylor case has been exonerated, acquitted, I should say. Former Louisville, Kentucky police officer Brett Hank- Han- Hankison the only cop charged in connection with the raid that ended with Breonna Taylor's death was acquitted on Thursday after the jury deliberated for approximately three hours, which means there was no evidence against him. 
if they were only gone for three hours. Now, we've highlighted this case in the past. There was a ton of fake news about this case that was all over for months before people were able to peel back the onions of that. Part of that is the Louisville police not getting information out to the public to at least at least let the public know that there was an alternative position that was freely available. Obviously, you have an investigation going forward, and, and you don't want to you know hamper that investigation or compromise it in any way. But I've told you before, police departments have to get better at communicating with the public. Otherwise, these radical things are going to start running away with it. A Kentucky jury cleared Hankison of three counts of wanton endangerment, which were punishable by one to five years in prison for firing shots during the raid that went through a sliding glass door and a window of Taylor's apartment and into the next into the unit next door where a couple had a small child. Um, and again, you know, this is not something that the police initiated or engaged in. This is something that her boyfriend engaged in. And unfortunately, the, um, you know, the good chunk of the population lied about the Breonna Taylor situation, just like they lied about Michael Brown, just like they lied about a whole host of other cases. But just uh, about half an hour ago, the officer in the Breonna Taylor case has been acquitted of all charges, and it only took the jury three hours. So this was not something that was close in, in anybody's mind on that jury. All right, I want to talk about I want to talk about Indiana here. Uh, the state of Indiana has had some not-so-nice things to say about Penn Harris Madison schools. I'm going to talk about that coming up on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I sent you. So true story. I was late one day because my barber was late because the barber's air quote appointment at their chiropractor wasn't really an appointment. True story. <laughs> So it doesn't just affect them, it affects everybody else that is reliant upon that schedule throughout the day, too. So, and I'm sure that the, the people that I had a meeting with were probably late for whatever they had to do after that. So it's you got to be respectful of people's time. And I've, I've told Josh this, I've told a couple of other people this. I had a conversation with somebody else about this this week, too. Your time is the most valuable thing that you have. It is the most precious commodity that you will ever own. And you shouldn't give, a, give it away for free. It is the most valuable thing that you have, and you have got to have respect for that. And other people have to have respect for it, too. And if they don't, you shouldn't be wasting your time with them. That's just kind of how it, it is. That's it's my opinion. I had somebody say, like, I'll, uh, I'll treat that as gospel, and I said, it is gospel. That's just how it is. All right, so we got to talk about uh, the state of Indiana. Not real happy with Penn Harris Madison School Corporation. In January... This is uh, realnewsmichiana.com. Parents submitted a public records request for information regarding PHM Superintendent Advisory Council. Now, school districts locally have been doing these advisory councils that have been meeting in secret off of the official record in order to get things done and strategize against parents and things of that nature. And it's not appropriate, okay? Penn Harris Madison claimed that the the SAC, the SAC, Superintendent Advisory Council, was exempt from Indiana's open door law, which requires meetings of certain public bodies to be open to the public. 
PHM erroneously stated that since members of the SAC are appointed by the superintendent and not an elected body, that the meetings did not need to be open to the public. So they were using these superintendent advisory councils to hide from parents, also to hide from local media. That's what they were doing. And their whole position was, well, the superintendent appoints these people. They're not elected officials. And so we don't have to tell you what's going on when we're meeting, what we're discussing, and you're not allowed to have access to any of the notes of our meeting. So the SAC has been responsible for pushing critical race theory tenants into PHM schools through diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. And all of their meetings have been held in secret due to Penn Harris Madison's violations. Okay. Now, according to the PHM website, the objective of the SAC steering committee this year will be to serve in an advisory role regarding the implementation of the district's DEI goals proposed by the SAC last year. PHM values and celebrates diversity and seeks to work on eliminating racial injustices and discrimination within the school district. So the SAC consists of members of PHM's administration, teachers, staff, parents, and guardians, who of course are like-minded individuals, students, as well as the greater community, according to the website. You just have no idea who these people are, and they, they love to hide their agenda from you, okay? So, the state of Indiana released a scathing report condemning Penn Harris Madison School Corporation for blatantly breaking public records laws. They came after a formal complaint from a parent and a subsequent investigation by Indiana's Public Access Counselor, also known as PAC. So we got the PAC investigating the SAC at Penn Harris Madison. The, uh, the PAC oversees the state's public records laws. And so it's a nine-page report that has been released. Stop it. It's a nine-page report that has been released, and you can read it all at realnewsmichiana.com. But the conclusion of the report is that the public access counselor wrote, quote, it is the opinion of this office that the superintendent's advisory board for Penn Harris Madison School Corporation is subject to the open door law. Now, that means all of you other SACs out there, local school systems, your SACs also have to be exposed and seen by everybody. This is how this has to happen. You can't keep your SACs behind closed doors. And I know that what Middlebury's doing this, I think Goshen is doing this. You guys, you got to stop, okay? You got to put your, <laughs> you can stop it. Josh is laughing over there. I'm trying to have a serious conversation about our kids' futures here. So you need to stop hiding your sacks from the public. They have a right to know what you're discussing, and you need to stop breaking the records laws. There you go. <clears throat> somehow we were able to get through that. I don't know how, but somehow we were able to get through that. Read the nine-page report where the state of Indiana says that all of these local school districts who are using these secret committees to get around parents so parents can't be involved in their child's education so they can hide things from families concerned about their children. Go ahead and read that nine-page report from the state so you understand exactly what's going on. So you parents in other school districts are able to properly fight back against your local schools who are doing the exact same thing as Penn. We got more coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel.
Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Do you want to cover a couple of things involving the COVID, particularly the Pfizer? We'll get to that here in just what? I've You know, this, okay, I'm not a tea drinker, but this tea is really good stuff. And it does give me energy. I'll give it that. So it, I've I've laid off the coffee a little bit. My acid reflux has been kind of intense. <laughs> so I've been laying off of the coffee. Um, and I've reduced my my intake here dramatically, and the tea is supplementing that. Um, all right, so let's take a look at what's happening with uh, with COVID, and and I have a very dystopian, awful story related to this from the attorney, uh, not the attorney general, the surgeon general, coming up in just a couple of minutes as well. So there's been a couple of studies that have been done on Pfizer as of late, and a couple of so-called conspiracy theories about Pfizer are now confirmed, at least according to the research that we have. And and of course, we've always been told it's, you know, you got to trust the science, yada, 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 yada. Um, They don't trust the science. I know that you know that. I know that you're well aware of that, but I'm just, just letting you know. Okay. So one of the studies One of the studies is that Pfizer is converted to DNA after entering the liver. And this was considered an horrendous conspiracy theory for a long time. But there is a study, and what the study says, this is from Sweden now, uh, Swedish researchers discovered in a study that messenger RNA in Pfizer's COVID-19 shot converts to DNA after it passes through the human liver. The Lund University researchers found that the mRNA vaccine upon entering the liver cells activates their DNA inside the nucleus to boost the line six genes activity and produce mRNA. Again, this was considered a conspiracy theory just a couple of weeks ago. The Center for Disease Control Prevention falsely stated in a post called Myths and Facts about COVID-19 vaccines that mRNA vaccines could not activate DNA inside of the cell nucleus. The genetic material delivered by mRNA vaccines never enters the nucleus of your cells, according to the CDC. Not only did the Swedish researchers learn that the mRNA vaccine enters the nucleus of liver cells, but they also found that the mRNA converts into DNA within about six hours. The Lund University, now for those of you who don't know, the Lund University is very prestigious, okay? Uh, anybody who's done news for any length of time knows that when something comes across from from Lund, like you take it seriously. As uh, a study tested the mRNA vaccine's effects on liver cells in vitro, that is outside a living body in an artificial experiment, but it is also expected that the same process occurs inside the body. Now, you will get some people, they'll go, oh, it's just in vitro, and it's not inside the body. They're not wrong, but this shows that this theory that has been around for a long time is certainly possible and likely inside of a human body. In the study, we present evidence that COVID-19 mRNA vaccine BNT162B2, Pfizer-BioNTech, is able to enter the human liver cell line HUH7 in vitro. I probably butchered how to say that, but the researchers wrote that in the study, and this is published in Current Issues of Molecular Biology. So this is a published study. So the mRNA is reverse transcribed 
in in uh, intracellularly into DNA as fast as six hours after the vaccine exposure, according to the research. The CDC and the corporate media have pushed propaganda that mRNA does not affect DNA. They claim that the body eliminated uh, mRNA after it produced the COVID-19 spike protein, which produces a temporary immune response, though not immunity. Uh, COVID-19 vaccines do not change or interact with your DNA in any way. Now, remember, there was a what the big story when this research was first kind of published and people were saying, hey, there's there's an effect on DNA here. There were some people who don't understand any of this and they ran with the ultimate conspiracy theory that it was changing your DNA and morphing you into some new creature and that sort of thing. Not exactly. Okay. Pfizer refused to comment on the Swedish study, and a spokesperson maintained the company's position that the mRNA shot does not affect DNA in spite of this research. All right. So the research that we have shows that it is certainly possible that this thing will convert to DNA in the liver. The second study that we have from Pfizer is that the vaccine is only 12% effective against Omicron for children ages 5 through 11. Which means your governor, Eric the Chinless, is a blithering idiot. Do I need to elaborate? Yes? Okay, I will elaborate. A study conducted by the New York State Department of Health, you know, that bastion of conservative think tank over there in New York State that is yet to undergo peer review, not peer reviewed yet, found that Pfizer's mRNA vaccine was only 12% effective at protecting kids age 7 through 11 from the Omicron wave. Now, again, kids age 7 through 11 face no chance of dying from Omicron. It is a statistical outlier of such extreme rarity. The, the actual chance of a child dying from Omicron is 0%. I'm not exaggerating that. We gave you that research, too. It is 0%. The New York State Department of Health found that the effectiveness of Pfizer's vaccine against COVID infection plummeted from 68% to 12% for kids in that age group during the Omicron surge from December 13th through January 21st, uh, excuse me, 24th. Protection against hospitalization dropped from 100% to 48% during the same period. Uh, And again, a lot of this is going to be Omicron is just safe. Uh, The team of public health officials who conducted the study said that the dramatic drop in vaccine Effectiveness among children 5 to 11 years old was likely due to the lower dosage that they received. Kids in this age group are given two 10-microgram shots, while children aged 12 to 17 receive 30-microgram shots. But again, none of those kids actually need the shot because Omicron has a 0% chance of killing them unless we are talking about serious comorbidities here. And even then with Omicron, extremely, extremely low chance of them ever having any serious effects from it. So you've got, you know, people like Eric Holcomb who want to require your five-year-old to get an injection of this stuff, which doesn't really work, before he will release the emergency. Why? Because he wants $40 million a month. And he said this. I didn't. We quoted him on this show. He wants the $40 million a month in federal money that comes to the state for free. That's what he wants. And he does not want to release the emergency and give up that money because he's more concerned with the money than he is with your safety or your child's safety. 
It is all about the dollars and cents. Follow the money. I know we say that a million times. It's become cliche, but you follow the money, you follow the money, you follow the money. Don't forget the CDC recently also told that, uh, you know, blood clots are going to become the new normal and that sort of thing. And you've got the CDC withholding data from all of you. Okay. The fact that they're withholding data from all of you should really, really speak volumes. The FDA is withholding data from you. Pfizer's withholding data from you. Um, then there's this other thing. Have you seen the Pfizer, the leak of the document from the Pfizer adverse reaction? Have you seen this uh, adverse events list that, that is released by, this is a part of the FDA documents, but this thing got leaked out. Remember, the FDA is still slow walking the Pfizer, the Pfizer docs that have been ordered released by a judge. They're trying to hold, the, hold on to these things for 72, 73 years, something like that. Well, there is a document out there Okay, which you can read. It's a new study that uh, finds that all age groups under 50 years old are at greater risk of fatality after receiving a COVID-19 inoculation than an unvaccinated person is at risk of COVID-19 death. All age groups under 80 years old have virtually no benefit from receiving a COVID inoculation and the younger ages incur significant risk. That is the quote from the study. So let me say it one more time. This the study says all age groups under 50 years old are at greater risk of fatality after receiving a COVID vaccine than an unvaccinated person is at risk of a COVID-19 death. All age groups under 80 years old have virtually no benefit from receiving COVID-19 inoculations and the younger ages incur significant risk, which was also considered a conspiracy theory until the CDC did finally say, oh, yeah, young people do, in fact, have a much higher chance of a serious side effect from the vaccines than older populations do, which has been data for over a year now, by the way. So the study is entitled COVID-19 and All-Cause Mortality Data. It's by age group, uh, by age group reveals risk of COVID vaccine-induced fatality is equal to or greater than the risk of a COVID death toll uh, for all age groups under age, God, wow, that is a long, long title of a study, Josh. I didn't even do half of it. Okay, here's the thing. I know you're all eggheads and stuff. Name your study something cool, okay? Just make it, like, easy and simple. That is a that is a three-sentence word salad with no punctuation. Stop doing that. The study is by Kathy Dopp and Ph.D. Stephanie Seneff. They report numerous bombshell revelations, including that vaccine manufacturers neglected to calculate absolute risk reduction based on the prevalence or likelihood of a person developing symptomatic COVID illness. I would like to remind everybody that the CDC took two years to admit to all of you that the overwhelming majority of people who died from COVID had at least four comorbidities. In other words, if you're a relatively healthy person, you're not dying from it. Now, <clears throat> the list, the list of adverse events of special interest in this document that have been released is staggering. I cannot read them to you. They're all sciency talk, and there are too many of them. I would basically be sitting here reciting medical terminology to you for the next half an hour. I'm obviously not going to do that. It will be in the daily show prep. I encourage you to look at it if you are interested in this information. But isn't it funny 
how all of these things that were conspiracy theories just a couple of weeks ago, everybody's talking about it now. Got more coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Ironically, one of the next stories that I had in the docket, somebody just called about. Somebody just called and asked Josh, this DNA patent that Moderna has, can Moderna be held liable for the pandemic? This is an interesting question. Now, for those of you who don't know, this keep in mind, this is not me being cute. This is the actual terminology here. In the cleavage of the spike protein, there is a pat this true story. Don't stop laughing at me. I keep I keep saying very serious things today and Josh keeps losing his cool over there. Okay. In the cleavage of the spike protein of COVID, there is a DNA sequence that is identical to a DNA sequence that was patented by Moderna 3 years before the pandemic. So that's kind of what I'm assuming, right, Josh, that the, list, the listener was asking about. It's like, can Moderna be held liable then? Because this is the thing that apparently makes it super infectious, okay? What's interesting about that is the CEO of Moderna went on with Maria Bartiromo on Sunday. And I had this on the docket for today. So the Moderna CEO admitted that it is possible that the gene sequence patented by the vaccine company three years before the pandemic could be in COVID-19 spike protein. So the CEO is Steph, Stephane or Stefan Bansell. He told Maria Bartiromo that it's likely that a jab in China, a lab in, excuse me, a lab in China was working on virus enhancement or gene modification. And the hypothesis of an escape from the lab by accident is also feasible. Does that sound like he's throwing out there that the lab leak theory is likely? And does anybody, did anybody else pick up? That sounds like the Moderna CEO is saying the lab leak theory is the likely scenario here, which is why his DNA sequence is found inside of a COVID. Like they, they would remember the researchers who found this, the international team of researchers who found this estimated the chance of this happening in nature is one in three trillion, which means it's more likely for me to be inside of Rihanna's belly as her newborn baby. Right now, she's pregnant. It's more likely for me to be her baby than it is for this to have occurred naturally. Okay? I am not in Rihanna's belly. So is it possible? One in three trillion chance it's possible. So it's not possible. Okay? Quote, my scientists are looking into those data to see accurate or they to see if they're accurate or they are not. He's got an accent. As I've said before, the hypothesis of an escape from a lab by accident is possible. Humans make mistakes. 
So it is possible that one lab in China was working on virus enhances, enhancements or gene modification. That's what Moderna's CEO told Maria Bartiromo on Fox News Sunday. And then there's an accident where somebody was infected in the lab and then infected their families and friends. It is possible on the claim you just mentioned, the scientists analyzing to know if it's real or not. He continued, okay? So basically what he is saying is, yeah, it's totally possible that they were manipulating this virus in a lab with our patented DNA and put it in there. So what he is saying is that it we didn't do it. The Chinese lab was doing it and they were using our patented DNA. So I guess to answer the caller's question, it would if that ended up being the scenario, it would come down to if Moderna gave them permission to use their patented DNA sequence in this research. And to what extent that caused the outbreak. That would be I think the big question there. But it's a good question. Because now even Moderna's CEO is like, yeah, we think this this is probably manipulated in a lab using our patented DNA. So they're not even saying it's not possible it's our DNA. They're saying it's it's likely their DNA and it's because they were manipulating the virus in a lab. Very interesting stuff, don't you think? I think it is. All right, we got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Uh, People's Convoy did, just quick little update, did draw thousands of people near Indianapolis. They're on their way to D.C. And I think like two or three other convoys linked up and merged with them. I don't know if you've seen the aerial shots of this convoy. It is massive. Heading to D.C. So keep in mind, no problems with the convoy anywhere else in the country. And the moment they get to D.C., they will be treated and you will be told that they are domestic terrorists. So uh, hopefully they, they keep safe. MNC News Time is 431. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that will last a lifetime. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. Do you want to thank R&B Car Company, locations in South Bend and Elkhart. You can find them online at rbcarcompany.com. All right. Um, I want to address this just because this has kind of come up here. And I think it's a good question. So. A lot of people are starting to ask, like, who's going to be the guest at the next noise? And the answer to that is, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. But with this, people have started to throw some names out. And some of the suggestions are really good. So I especially like the one that just came up on my, on my feed uh, from Dentside. But I don't think that's possible. But I really do like that suggestion. Now, here's the thing, though. Uh, we do not charge you a lot of money for noise, and part of the reason that we don't charge you a lot of money for noise is we want noise to be accessible to the audience. You know, the VIPs are a little bit more, but your general admission seating is very, very affordable. You're going to pay, you know, about what you pay to go to the movies um, with with noise. Now, because of that, we don't always have the biggest budget in the world, and a lot of these speakers are super, super expensive. And this is, this is something that kind of sticks in my craw. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Nobody is worth $250,000. Rush would not have been worth $250,000 
to bring to an event as a speaker. I'm sorry. Love the man. Not worth a quarter of a million dollars. It's not. And so a lot of these folks are really, really expensive. Or you can get people that nobody's ever heard of for twenty or $30,000. So it gets very, very hard sometimes to find people. Now, we're, we're blessed to have a relationship uh, with, you know, Fox News. And, and it's, always, it's always good for us to get our, our affiliate shows and stuff like that on. That's always really nice. And that's something that we can definitely do. Um, but yeah, a lot of these, a lot of these folks who want to come speak, I mean, they, folks, they are not cheap, really expensive. And I know that a lot of you would love to see some of these people, man. And I would love to bring some of these people too. And here's the thing though, that requires, that requires either selling a lot more tickets or raising the price or a combination of both to get some of these people. For example, one big name that is often floated for for coming to town and speaking at noise, and we have considered for a couple of years now, I won't tell you who it is. They are a hundred thousand dollars. Josh, you think we could pull off a hundred grand for a speaking fee? You th- what? Have you been in the meetings? You have been in the meetings where we've talked about the speaker budget. You're gonna tell me that we're gonna raise our budget to a hundred k? I mean. I wish we could. <laughs> I really do. Uh, I just don't, I don't know how feasible that is. I would love to have some of these people, though. Uh, what I do also do, though, and, and this is, I do do, I, this is what I do to do, do. If you have a name that you would like to see come to Noise, I give them a list every single year. And it took me four years to get Katie Pavlich. Because Katie Pavlich was at the top of my list. I had her and Lauren Southern and Candace Owens at the top of my list for a long time there. And for those of you who follow me for any length of time, you know that Lauren Southern is one of my favorite human beings of all time. Uh, Lauren also retired, and now she's back. So maybe I could get Lauren Southern. I think we should get Lauren Southern. That's just me. A lot of you don't know who she is, um, but she is one of the most important on-the-street investigative reporters of, of the past, I would say, eight years. And she took some time off, did the family thing, but she is back now. Uh, and she was just on uh, Tim Pool's show this week, so I have to watch that. But she's amazing because she gives a different angle. And But she'll be on the list. I'll have other people on the list, and they always ask for people to suggest who they would like. So if you have those suggestions and you want to send them to me, I am happy to pass them off to management. And then we start contacting booking agents and we see what's a good fit, what isn't a good fit, scheduling, uh, that sort of stuff. And we will, we will do what we can to, uh, to get the best possible person for, for noise. So happy to do that. So please don't feel like you just need to sit there and wait until we tell you who the speaker is going to be. We always take suggestions on that. So if you have anybody in mind, send it to us and we will certainly take a look at it. And if it works out, it works out. I mean, sometimes you never know. Sometimes they're already in town for another event and they're able to slide over for a discount. That would be great. Uh, sometimes it's it's not possible because of scheduling conflicts, even though everything else works out. So it just kind of depends. But, you know, the more, the more names that we have out there, if we start seeing certain small group of names kind of rise to the top, we'll really focus on them and, and get them in there. But um, please do. You know, any suggestions that you all have, please, please, please send those to us. All right. The Surgeon General 
is demanding, given all I've just told you about COVID, okay? The Surgeon General is demanding tech companies hand over data on COVID-19 misinformation. So considering everything that we've just covered in this hour about COVID and stuff that is now being acknowledged as real, but was labeled as misinformation 15, 20 days ago, what could possibly be going on here? with the Surgeon General. And when we talk about misinformation, can we just give them the entire catalog of CNN? So when the Surgeon General comes out and says, we want everybody to send us examples of of the misinformation out there, we want all of those documents, can I send them the entire catalog of CNN? Because that's all CNN has done, is propagated misinformation on COVID. I could send them the local news channels too. I could do a lot with this. So he's demanded companies provide data on, quote, exactly how many users saw or may have been exposed to instances of COVID-19 misinformation. And again, what is the misinformation? Is the misinformation stuff that was labeled misinformation at the time but ended up actually being true? Is the COVID misinformation stuff that was actually being pushed by the CDC and the WHO at the time but now is considered to not be true? What is misinformation at this point in time? Because all of those things have happened. For the first few months of the pandemic, everything you heard from the CDC and the WHO was not accurate. And so when you were out there telling people, you know, hey, maybe buy a mask, and they were taking your posts off and saying masks are misinformation, which they did for several months, does that count as being exposed to misinformation or or what? Now, how are the tech companies supposed to figure out which misinformation people were exposed to Because at various times throughout the pandemic, stuff that was labeled as misinformation ended up being true, and stuff that was labeled as true ended up being misinformation. So how accurate could this data possibly be, and why does the Surgeon General want it? That becomes the big question, and you need to be very, very worried about this. Technology companies now have the opportunity to be open and transparent with the American people about the misinformation on their platforms. Excuse me. The FDA and the CDC do not want to release information about COVID and the vaccines, and you expect the tech companies to be transparent because they have a responsibility to the public? Doesn't the CDC and the FDA have a responsibility to the public to be open and transparent about the viruses? So Facebook does, but the FDA and the CDC do not. That's the Surgeon General's position here. It's unclear which companies received the notice. The Department of Health and Human Services did not respond to the Daily Caller News Foundation's request for comment. The move follows a misinformation advisory released by the Office of the Surgeon General in July of 2021, alleging that product features built into technology platforms have contributed to the spread of misinformation. Right. You spread it. You and your local health officials and the local lackey doctors and your cable news networks We have got Dr. Ding for crying out loud. That is his real name. Dr. Ding just two weeks ago went on MSNBC and told everybody that Omicron was more dangerous and deadly for children than any of the other variants. It is a lie. But he's on MSNBC saying it, and MSNBC is continuing to spread his conspiracy theories. So anytime MSNBC puts that on on Facebook, it's not getting censored. Every time Dr. Ding posts on Twitter, it's not being labeled as misinformation. 
So how could you possibly getting accurate information on, on what is actually misinformation? I know that you all understand what I'm saying, but I just it has to be said out loud so people understand that it's going on. And at what point can we say something was misinformation? Is it just that they were flagged at that time? So many people saw posts that were misinformation in this month of this year. But what if that data has changed and the misinformation is now the accurate information and the original story is the misinformation? So now your data is exactly upside down and backwards, which is exactly what government wants. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Oh, they're doing the gas price thing right now. Um, I found that I think today was the first time that in any American city, the average gas price is over five bucks. So that's fun. Thanks, Biden. Over 60 police officers have been shot. It's only two months into the year. Over 60 police officers in the United States have been shot while on duty in the first two months of 2022. According to the fraternal, the National Fraternal Order of Police, as violent crime continues to plague many cities across the country. The FOP reports that 67 officers were shot in the line of duty so far in 2022, a 40% increase from last year. It is a 76% increase from 2020. Of these 67 officers who were shot, nine of them were killed by the gunfire. There have been 13 ambush-style attacks on law enforcement officers this year as well, resulting in 24 officers being shot, four of them being killed, including that tragic case where the uh, the two partners were killed in that ambush. So this is, you know, when Biden goes out there, and I saw that Greg Gutfeld got really emotional about that, and of course Greg has been very emotional anyway because his mother-in-law has been trapped in Ukraine, but it looks like the Fox News crew that is in Ukraine got his mother-in-law out. Um, he praised them as heroes yesterday on his show, but the he he was visibly angry at anybody who bought into the line of thinking that Joe Biden is a supporter of law enforcement and that Joe Biden did not want to defund the police. And as we've said before, Joe Biden is on camera. He did an interview with Now This, which is a liberal news outfit. He did an interview where he told them that he wanted to divert funds away from police departments into other programs to defund them, not to completely defund them 100% or disband them, but he did, on camera, tell everybody, including at the debates, that he wanted to reduce funding to police departments for police officers. That is not up for debate. And it doesn't matter how many times Chris Wallace sneezes into his hand and tells you otherwise. The fact of the matter is, he has repeatedly said that he wants to reduce funding to law enforcement. And then at the State of the Union address, because he knows that nobody supports that, he decided to say that we're going to go the opposite direction and got a standing ovation. Don't fall for it. And you're seeing the results of this defund the police mentality with these 67 officers who've been shot this year. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. So this is an interesting document that has been released. 
So I want to give you some background on this. Um, obviously, the mass shooting that was in Las Vegas on October 1st of 2017 was, um, you know, a horrible event. We were all covering it live on this show as well as everybody else who was live at that time. We covered it for the next several days, and um, we've watched the investigation completely get botched by Las Vegas Metro, and I told you that that is not normal. Most of you know that Las Vegas is my hometown. Las Vegas Metro is a very good police department. The sheriff situation there is troubling, to say the least. Evidence went missing from the crime scene in the hotel room. It was just bizarre things were happening that led people to think that something was going on. Um, I did address the multiple multiple shooter theories and kind of highlighted how the lights and the sounds do bounce in the strip. That is normal. Locals are very familiar with that. So there is a natural phenomenon which could explain some of that. That doesn't mean that there wasn't potentially multiple shooters. It's just that I, I'm trying to explain to people that this happens all the time down there. The sound ricochets and bounces around and, and it multiplies. So a lot of people could have thought that there was multiple shooters when, in fact, there wasn't given where this was happening. That would have been normal. Okay, Doesn't mean there wasn't multiple shooters. I'm just letting you know it would have been normal. So there is this report was prepared by a former Trump National Security Council official. Now, this official passed away on February 23rd. And because of that, we have access to this 51-page document. So here's the story from National File. Bombshell evidence prepared for recently deceased Trump National Security Council official explicitly reports on multiple shooters carrying out the Las Vegas terrorist shooting. It's not exactly what it says. Um, of October 1st of 2017, and the report states that uh, Stephen Paddock did not actually commit suicide, but was executed by others, pointing to Antifa and ISIS involvement and the FBI foreknowledge of the attack. Now, the FBI did have reports of an attack before it happened. The report also provides evidence that an Antifa group claimed responsibility for the shooting with the message, one of our comrades from our Las Vegas branch has made these fascist Trump-supporting dogs pay. The following report was prepared for Rich Higgins, who served in the National Security Council Strategic Planning Office in 2017. Higgins died of complications at a hospital at around 3 a.m. on February 23, 2022. The more than 50-page report is entitled All Source Assessment Attack on the Route 91 Country Music Festival, October 1st, 2017, Mandalay Bay Hotel, Las Vegas, Nevada. It was prepared for Higgins shortly after he left the National Security Council. Now, according to the document, uh, the report fuses open source information with tactical counterterrorism analysis, cyber intelligence, and digital data mining capabilities. It states that Stephen Paddock may have anticipated the arrival of a fly, a fly-in team of additional shooters that would assist in the operational execution. The report also names an Australian man named Brian Hodge as a person of interest with possible ties to Islamic organizations and a possible Islamic State linkage. Now, we talked about this when it happened, that the shooter um, had connections to the Philippines and appears that may, he made contact with... ISIS recruiters in the Philippines. So it is possible. His wife was Filipino. So 
there's always been this potential terrorist angle, and ISIS has always said that one of their people carried it out. So we don't know for sure, obviously, but now this Antifa angle is, it's been speculated that maybe, perhaps it could have been, but it's always been the ISIS angle was the most likely angle. that This guy was radicalized when he was overseas by ISIS, and that's why this happened. The report states that Mr. Hodge's personal profile is more befitting of a left-wing or anti-fascist action affiliate, Antifa. But recent intelligence reports point to an increased level of collaboration between groups like Antifa and the Islamic State. Now, remember, Antifa is a domestic terrorist organization. That's just who they are. Uh, they will tell you that they're not, but they are. All of the evidence points to Antifa being domestic terrorists. There isn't any evidence to the contrary. On page 45, the report states, and I quote, the FBI was closely monitoring Antifa operative engagements with Islamic State and Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula and Islamic uh, Maghreb personnel in Germany. The FBI has discovered a level of chatter between left-wing revolutionary groups and Islamic terrorist groups. It turns out, according to the report, that Mr. Hodge traveled to Berlin, Paris, London, and back to Berlin approximately two weeks prior to the attack in Las Vegas. This is interesting. I don't know that there's a lot of Americans who are aware of any potential link between various Antifa groups and Islamic jihadists. They all hate America. Why not? Las Vegas official single-shooter narrative has been torn apart by recent evidence from Mindy Robinson's Route 91 documentary. Um, that's opinion from the National File reporter here. That is opinion. I haven't seen the Route 91 documentary. I'm happy to take a look at it. I know that some of you recommended that I do take a look at it because you're interested in my assessment. But, again, uh, I don't know what Mindy has or has not discovered. So, it, to me, it's hearsay. I'm just passing it on. There's a ton of evidence that there were clearly bodies in other locations. That is true. And shooters in other locations. Also true. The real question is, are they connected? It is Las Vegas, after all. So... This is interesting stuff. You start getting into the, the analysis of this, and the full document is here in the article. You can read every single page, okay? But you get down to page 49, and in page 49 is the theory of motive. Some might assess that if Mr. Hodge acted out of political malevolence, then the attack on the Route 99 festival was probably directed towards President Trump supporters. Remember, country music... All country music support uh, listeners have to be Trump supporters, they have to be Republicans, right? Of course, it's not true, but that's, that's the worldview that leftists have. If this supposition is correct, it would seem logical that such persons committing this kind of act are aligned with the Marxist socialist violent movement, also known as Antifa. However, the presence of Islamic compliant religious travel organizations in their contact information on Mr. Hodge's phone is worthy of further investigation. Additionally, the presence of Mexican nationals from an area of Mexico with known Islamic State activity at the same motel that Hodge appears to have utilized as a safe house is worthy of additional investigation. The social and political context within which the Las Vegas attack took place cannot be ignored in the overall analysis. The past two years have seen a steady rise of violence by left-wing political groups in the United States. 
true. The convergence, Islamic State and Antifa-like interests opposing the rise of American nationalism could be driving these groups to operate together in ways not seen in the past. The attacks conducted by groups like Anti-Fascist Action, Antifa, and Black Lives Matter, BLM, have generally targeted police, American nationalists, and conservative politicians. This escalatory trend has been a uh, progression from blocking traffic and protests to attacks against Trump supporters during the 2016 election cycle to targeted assassination of the police to mass casualty attacks against the police to attempted targeted assassination of conservative congressmen and what could be some involvement in the first large-scale mass casualty attack directed against American nationalists or perceived Trump supporters, meaning the Las Vegas shooting. The Islamic State claims regarding the attack are readily explained by the recent release of a classified FBI memo from July of 2017 that shows the FBI was aware of ongoing collaboration between Antifa operatives and the Islamic State. Hmm. So, again, anybody who thinks that Antifa is not a domestic terrorist organization. Some analysts have concluded that Mr. Paddock was killed because he had completed all of the logistics procurement and financing of the Vegas attack, did the deed, and was expendable. The possible second shooter was perhaps a fly-in with limited personal contact with Paddock and who had cover for status and cover for action to perform this attack. Further link analysis and cross-domain analytics that require in order to examine possible connection between Paddock and Hodge, okay? So again, working on the theory that Paddock and Hodge were co-conspirators, all right? Which is not new. Further investigation and verification of the information discovered through various sources focusing on the role of Brian Hodge and his team as described in his interviews is required as well. Now again, this is this is at the end of this document on motivation on why the shooting happened. Some believe that it is possible that Mr. Paddock and the second shooter planned to utilize an alternative room, perhaps uh, 323, uh, yeah, 32314, as reserved by Hodge. That was the room that was reserved by him as part of their cover for escape. However, poor internal communication and post-attack adrenaline may have led to an operational compromise. Hodge continuing to name room number 32134, after having already escaped the hotel. This may also have been an attempt by Mr. Hodge to explain his presence in the hallway proximate to the known shooter's suite, which was 32-135, okay? Mr. Hodge requires a detailed investigation and interview. Initial research shows that social media direct messages and historical data have been wiped. Emails, addresses and content have been wiped this is one of the things that was so surprising about this case um there was there was really there's nothing left behind but then his hard drive and thumb drives and things like that started disappearing from his computers that were there and they were never seen again and they were just lost by law enforcement so a lot of questions about all of this mr hodge also shows various irregular travel patterns that are concealed from social media and general knowledge in addition to this, Mr. Hodge has cha- charged, excuse me, changed his phone and his address since the attack. So after the attack, Mr. Hodge has changed all of that. Mr. Paddock probably procured this large amount of ammunition and weapons as well as very large suite encompassing two rooms. 
believing that there would be a team of Antifa or Islamic State affiliated of individuals available to, con uh, to conduct the attack. Did the security guard interrupt the attack and trigger a response from Paddock and Hodge prior to Hodge's team's arrival? That is a question that is being asked in this document here by this, uh, this guy. Whatever and wherever the truth lies, it is not as claimed by the ever-changing story and the recent silence of the local law enforcement. There are too many inconsistencies within the digital, behavioral, and legacy database profile of Mr. Paddock for him to have carried out this attack alone as presently portrayed. The poor quality of the autopsy report is damaging the credibility of the police and security apparatus. There are too many missing pieces of this composition and life puzzle, and particularly during the period of October 2016 to the date of the shooting almost exactly one year later. So this is a very interesting document, which again was prepared to Rich Higgins, who was with the National Security Council under President Trump, that there seems to be some theories out there that while ISIS has claimed credit here, an Antifa group claimed credit too, and they both might be right because they might have been working together. Very interesting stuff. I encourage you to read this. It, it, is, it is a very interesting document, but it's 51 pages, and there's a lot of you know stuff in there that is going to be a little mundane. But if this is a topic that interests you at all, I would encourage you to read the entire thing and not cherry pick little bits and pieces from the article, but actually read the document. we got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Well, we got some breaking news for you, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> you go to 953MNC.com. The former Jimtown high school teacher who hit these students in the hallway, which has caused so many of you to lose your collective minds in sanity and attack me, um, that teacher has now been taken into custody and arrested on a preliminary charge of battery. I don't believe the formal charge has, has been set yet. That will come later, but it is a level six felony. So here's the story from 953MNC.com. Former Jimtown High School teacher has been slapped, who slapped a student on security footage has been arrested. The Elkhart County Sheriff's Office has made an arrest in relation to the February 25th battery of a student at Bago Schools. After a detailed investigation by the Elkhart County Sheriff's Office, 61-year-old Michael Hosinski has been taken into custody on the preliminary charge of battery as a level six felony. A request for formal charge has been submitted to the Elkhart County Prosecutor's Office, and not long after the incident took place last Friday, he was put in an accelerated retirement request, and that was granted unanimously by the school board members earlier this week. Hosinski qualifies for retirement through the Rule of 85. Uh, he is at least 55 years old and has worked at least 30 years in the district. So... Again, not formally charged yet, but has been arrested, is facing a level six felony for the battery of a child. So as we continue to cover this case, and this case has gone national, and I've sent it to a couple of national people, and they've, they've said, ah, we got to wait for the Ukraine thing to kind of slow down. Uh, Breaking 911 picked it up, and so I've been on their thread kind of commenting about that, giving people an update on it, because not a lot of people have info on what's actually happening outside of our community 
but this is the latest development in this. And, and of course, if you heard my show at all. I completely support this arrest. Uh, he'll get his day in court. He'll be able to plead his case. We'll learn more about what actually transpired in the classroom. A lot of people are very curious is about what the, the student could have done to set the teacher off this way. Um, my response has been the same. I'm sure that he's a nice guy. He's got a great reputation as a teacher. The students seem to really like him. Parents have been in his court. But at the same time, you can't haul off and whack a kid in the head. That's just kind of my opinion on this. You might disagree with that. That's fine. But my opinion is he probably needs to face some justice for this. And I don't think that he's going to be facing any serious time or anything like that. But um, nonetheless, he has been taken into custody, facing a preliminary charge of battery, level six felony. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. MNC News Time is 531. It's time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that will last a lifetime. All right, we got to do this Florida thing, man. We have to. This, I wasn't going to talk about this until they made a big story out of it, so now I have to. So Governor DeSantis in Florida was given an event. There was a bunch of kids behind him. They were all wearing masks, and he went up to him, and he goes, look, you guys don't have to do that with me. And he goes, if you want to wear it, that's fine, but this is ridiculous. It's not, it doesn't do anything. So then... One of the students, crazy Karen moms, and she's got crazy eyeballs. She's got, she's got Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez eyeballs. They go to the local news, and this is how this went down. And I told him to wear that mask. And Governor DeSantis, and he's looking at this adult authority and, and he's telling him, oh, you don't have to wear the mask. What was your reaction when you heard the governor tell you and your classmates, remove your masks? Um, a bit of surprise and shock, more of, okay, this authority, author, this authority figure is asking me to do something that I know is probably going to end up being controversial. So. I okay. Okay. He just repeated what his mom said verbatim. Okay. Tell me that that kid isn't coached by mom. Now, what I would like to point out is this kid is on the news wearing the mask. He's standing half a foot away from his mom, who is talking about wearing the mask. She is not wearing a mask. She has no mask on her face. She has no mask on her body, no mask on her person. So I figured that I would set the tone that way. So Governor DeSantis has released a nice little video as a response to her and everybody else. Ready? Here it is. You do not have to wear those masks. I mean, please take them off. <laughs> Honestly, it's not doing anything, and we got to stop with this COVID theater. So if you want to wear it, fine, but this is, a, this is ridiculous. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis asked some college students to take off their masks. Outrageous! How dare he say such blasphemy? I've got to do something. None of the elites wore masks in their seats. And again, no masks in the chamber tonight. Obviously in the chamber, uh, everybody is maskless, basically. Don't, don't follow the science. Follow the political science. How dare you? 
Tonight, Stacey Abrams under fire, maskless, among a group of masked school children. Controversy surrounding L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti and Governor Gavin Newsom. New fallout for that fancy birthday dinner party. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. I think it's highly hypocritical of him. More and more Democratic governors are joining Republicans who have rolled back statewide mask mandates. Florida led when it counted. We led early on when the weight of the world was coming, bearing down on our shoulders. Freedom has prevailed in the Sunshine State. Man, Daddy DeSantis getting it done. He knows what's up. He knows what to do. By the way, just want to remind everybody that the Democratic Governors Association chose the great state of Florida this year for their annual (laughs) get-together. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Melinda Gates is speaking out. I know you all care quite a bit. Melinda Gates. One of the reasons that she divorced Bill Gates was because of his relationship with Yoffrey Epstein, who did not kill himself. True story. Melinda French Gates said ex-husband Bill Gates' relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, who didn't kill himself, played a role in their divorce. French Gates made clear that Gail King, to Gail King, in a wide-ranging interview on CBS Mornings Thursday, that it was not one thing but many things that forced her to pull the plug on her 27-year marriage. Well, the let me go visit my ex-wife and have an exclusive weekend with my ex-wife to talk about science. That was a part of the marriage arrangement. I'm sure that that was totally innocent. Anyway. I did not like that he had meetings with Jeffrey Epstein. No, I made it clear to him that, that, uh, hold on. I made it clear to him, French Gates shared with King before adding that she met the late perv exactly one time because he wanted to see who this man, she wanted to see who this man was. I regretted it the second I walked in the door. He was abhorrent. He was evil personified. My heart breaks for these women. In a statement to the network, Gate 66 called his working relationship with Epstein, who died by suicide in jail in August of 2019 while awaiting trial and sex trafficking charges, a mistake. Sure, page six magazine, that ain't how it went down, but that's how you want to sugarcoat it. That's fine. So there you go. Melinda Gates. Yeah, part of the reason I divorced him was he was working with evil Epstein. Hmm. Wonder what kind of things it was working at. <laughs> Bill calls it a mistake. It's always a mistake when the guy that you're doing business with turns out to be a sex trafficker. 
Always a mistake, right? You always regret that relationship, especially when your name keeps coming up in those conversations. But, you know, friendly reminder, we know everybody who donated to the Canadian convoy, but we do not know all of the people who visited Epstein Island. Isn't that interesting? All right, folks, you have a good night. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't forget open lines tomorrow. Both shows tomorrow as well on rumble.com slash Casey, the host. Here's Bill O'Reilly.